0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. A bipartisan vote in this Congress? Well, yes, it really did happen. 165 Democrats, some of them in the so-called Problem Solvers Caucus, joined 149 Republicans last night to pass a deal on the debt ceiling. Now, the bill heads to the Senate, where lawmakers will need to act soon, before June 5th, to avoid a default. Lawmakers voted to suspend the debt ceiling for two years, not raise it. So what does that mean? And what kind of effects will it have on the economy, food aid, the IRS, and student loans? Here to give us a little debt ceiling 101 is Philip Braun, clinical professor of finance at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Welcome to Reset, Philip.
1: I think the main issues with, uh, with the debt ceiling limit is it's um it imposes two years of spending caps and a few other policy changes. Uh, it's estimated it's going to cut federal spending by one point five trillion across a decade, and it will have one hundred thirty billion dollars approximately in cuts over the next two years. Right. It's uh... go ahead.
0: So let's let's take it back a little bit, Philip. I, I want you to start with what is the debt ceiling, because we're, we're we're starting with a, a little one oh one here, the basics.
1: Um, debt ceiling limit uh, limits the U.S. Treasury from um, borrowing money over a particular level, and so this um, uh, this takes away the debt ceiling limit for the next two years. Um, but the debt limit is simply how much can the Treasury borrow, and it's re- usually restricted by some limit.
0: Right, uh, and and so we're clear. Why is why do we need it?
1: Yeah, federal federal spending is out of control. Uh, U.S. uh, debt relative to GDP is at over 100% today, uh, which is the highest it's ever been. Um, So it's a a way for Congress to try to manage how large the U.S. debt is.
0: Okay, so the House voted, as I mentioned, to, to suspend the debt ceiling. Up next to to vote is the Senate. Now, Congress has suspended the limit seven times since 2013. This is according to the, the Council on Foreign Relations. What typically happens after making that decision, Philip?
1: Um, it just means that federal expenditures can increase until the debt limit ceiling is hit again. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's a way for Congress to try to limit how much uh, money the federal government spends.
0: And so that we're, we're clear, in the lead up to last night's vote, there was also a, a lot of talk of raising the debt ceiling instead of suspending it. What's the difference?
1: Um, uh, the uh, the difference is that uh, this agreement that was made is going to cut expenditures uh, uh, across a decade. So it's going to cut non-military spenders, expenditures uh, by 1% in 2025 and they're going to be flat in 2024, so no growth in 2024, but it does allow military spending to increase 3% uh, next year.
0: All of this is, is happening because we're trying to avoid what's called a default, which would be the first. It would be the first in U.S. history, right? So, just explain what that is for us.
1: Uh, default means the U.S. government can't pay um, can't pay its bondholders uh, the money that that's that they're expecting. So, default would be a horrible situation for the U.S. Um, it would mean that the credit quality of uh, the U.S. Treasury debt would go down, and future inter- interest payments would go up.
0: So should, should we continue to worry about a default, or are we in the clear?
1: We're in the clear for two years. Um, and then after that, uh, they'll go through the whole situation all over again. Yeah. It's unfortunate that, uh, that there are debt limits. Uh, it should all occur through expenditure limits, which Congress controls on an annual basis rather than a debt limit.
0: What would happen if... if- the U.S. were to default on its debt, I'm curious.
1: Um, the main uh, first thing would be uh, the interest rate that the U.S. government would have to pay to bondholders would increase. So, currently, U.S. Uh, interest payments are very, very high on an annual basis, and that would simply go up, and it would uh, shake the world's view of and confidence in U.S. Treasury debt. And that can affect financial markets all over the world,
0: so the uh the u s already hit its limit back in January, and it's now June. Why is this all happening now, Philip, and not earlier
1: um because the treasury has uh still has enough money uh to be able to pay uh, pay its bills and doesn't need to borrow more money over this period. So even though they hit the debt limit in January, um, Treasury still had enough money to move forward until now.
0: Mm -hmm. And and let's talk specific numbers here, uh, Philip. How much debt does the U.S. have?
1: It has over $30 trillion in uh, debt outstanding.
0: Wow, trillion.
1: uh, Yeah, trillion. Trillion. It's a lot. Uh, um, So it's an outrageous amount. Uh, Under the Trump administration, uh, the debt increased by over $5 trillion. And uh, it's actually come down a little bit under Biden. Um, But the amount of debt, the amount of money that the U.S. government has borrowed from around the world is uh, outrageous.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We have got a deal at least in the House that last night a, a broad coalition of Democrats and Republicans voted to approve a plan to suspend the nation's debt ceiling. Now, if the Senate okays the deal by June fifth, we will avoid a default which experts say would be catastrophic for the economy and Here to explain it all is Philip braun who's a clinical professor of finance at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. So there were some uh, concessions, right? And, and that rare bird in Washington, which is a bipartisan compromise. What would you say are some wins for Republicans in this deal, Philip?
1: Um, Republicans were able to uh, decrease the amount of money that the IRS will receive. Uh, Biden uh, originally passed um Increase IRS spending uh, by $80 billion across this year and next year, and the Republicans reduced that by around $20 billion, which is estimated to actually cost uh, the government money uh, because of reduced expenditures to the IRS. The, um, the other is the main thing is increased work requirements for federal aid, um, and a lot of Democrats oppose that, but they were able to get of uh, these increased work requirements through.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the work requirements for for people receiving food aid were a, a potential sticking point, as you mentioned. Uh, Ellen Vollinger, the, the SNAP director for the Food Research and Action Center, uh, she said, quote, it's not doing anything to help them, to help the economy. It's just a punitive way to take food away from people. Thanks. Talk more about what effect this deal will have on SNAP, Philip, which is the uh, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program that we we know as food stamps.
1: It's going to uh, uh, cause elderly Americans. Uh, so it really imposes this requirement uh, by uh, increasing the age limit where you must have uh, be working from 50 to 54 years old. And so, uh, you know, these people a lot of times can't work, and all you're doing is taking away food from them, and that's the really crux of the problem: is the expectation that people in this age bracket or are receiving food stamps and such uh, are, are, uh, can work is incorrect.
0: Mm-hmm. Are these IRS funding cuts a concern? So My understanding was that the the IRS was already underfunded.
1: Now, they were underfunded uh but uh Biden increased their funding by 80 billion um and the republicans constantly um argued against this um but they're going to reduce that 80 billion by around 20 billion which will actually reduce the uh taxes raised by the IRS mm-hmm. um, so there's no real good rational reason to keep money uh from the IRS uh, because as you increase their budget, they're going to be able to collect more taxes.
0: Can you tell us some of the wins for Democrats here?
1: Well, <laughs> um, I don't think there are really any wins. I mean, the
0: fact that they them. came up with a deal, right?
1: Right, right, right. The wins are, the cuts are not bigger than they are. Um, would be the only thing I can think of that's a win for the, uh, Democrats.
0: Yeah. Do you think the deal will go through the Senate quickly?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, Why do you say that? Everyone, everyone at this point realizes how uh, the cost of defaulting on uh, uh, debt, the U.S. Treasury debt. and So I think they're all incentivized to be able to uh, pass this deal quickly.
0: Yeah. Any way that the, the deal... Um, on the table now can be changed or altered in any way at this point?
1: No, not really. If they alter it, then it has to go back to the House. And that will just delay its passing. And if uh, the Treasury Secretary is correct by that point, the U.S. will have defaulted.
0: Before we wrap, Philip, anything else that you want to note about this deal?
1: Um. I'm surprised at the deal from a Democrat's perspective, Um, but it could have been a lot worse. Um, um, But overall, I think it's it's a good balance, and I'm glad it passed the House at least.
0: Philip Braun is a clinical professor of finance at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Take care.
0: You too. We're going to continue our conversation about the nation's debt ceiling and discuss the impact that the deal moving through Congress could have on folks paying down student loans. That's just ahead on Reset. Back now with more Reset, I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. If the debt ceiling deal goes through in its current form, millions of people with student loans need to take note. That's because, like with any giant bill passed in Congress, there's a lot of fine print. In this case, the deal says that borrowers will need to begin repaying federal loans as early as September. That news is sure to come as a shock to folks who got used to the pause on repayments. That pause has been in effect for for years. But it looks like we are about to hit the play button. Here to discuss the situation is Cody Hunanian, Executive Director of the group Student Debt Crisis. Good to have you back,
2: Cody. Hey, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And Jack Wallace, the Head of Government Affairs and Industry Relations at Wirefy, a student loan refinance group. Hi, Jack.
3: Hi, Sasha. Thanks very much for having me this morning.
0: And we would love to hear from you. Tell us, do you have federal student loans? How are you feeling right now about making payments again if the debt ceiling deal goes through. Our number is eight six six nine one 915 wbez Again, call us and join the conversation at eight six six nine one 915 wbez So Cody, when, when talks around the debt ceiling deal were first happening, I'm curious, were you expecting that student loan payments would come up?
2: You know, it's a great question. Uh, you know, the GOP has been signaling from the get-go that they wanted to Uh, tackle, uh, you know, rolling back student debt relief. And, you know, the debt ceiling bill that uh, is moving forward right now goes less further than the GOP proposed. They wanted to cut not just the student loan payment pause, but block uh, the president's ability to cancel student debt and even essentially block future reforms. So this bill does less, but I have to say we are deeply disappointed that the president essentially took out of his own toolkit, uh, a powerful tool that he has to help Americans who are struggling, not just from the pandemic, but from the continued impact of inflation and other economic disruptions. So uh, deeply disappointed. But the writing was on the wall as far as what those on the right wanted from this bill when it comes to student debt relief.
0: Yeah. How about you, Jack? Any surprises there about where student loan payments fall?
3: No, I think Cody is is correct in, in what he just said. I think What's interesting that most people don't know, and this may be why it got tied in, is that the monthly pause since March of 2020 has cost the U.S. Treasury about $5 billion a month in payments to the Treasury from those borrowers. So I think that's the nexus to getting to the debt ceiling stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Tell us more about what the debt ceiling deal will mean for student loan payments, Cody.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there's just the true logistics, it will mean that we have to turn back on a student loan system that uh, has 40 million accounts, there essentially has never been uh, in the history of financial products, an attempt to turn on 40 million accounts. So the the logistics nightmare that comes with uh, making sure that folks are properly communicated with that uh, accounts. Um, that student loan servicers are actually interacting with accounts accurately and without issues is going to be a huge hurdle. And we definitely anticipate that uh, there's going to be a lot of missteps and issues with the, the rollout. Yeah. But you know, I'm not an economist, I'm an advocate. I talk to borrowers every day, and for them what it means is less money in their pocket, more difficulty keeping a roof over their head, and even more challenges affording all of those increased costs for basic needs that the problem of inflation has been uh you know continuing to to harm on uh, American families, mm-hmm. so real world impact it's going to be very difficult for millions of families to afford their bills,
0: yeah, and a reminder, we are taking your calls. Does what Cody just said describe your situation? Do you have federal student loans, and do you feel ready right now to start paying them again after years of a pause? Our number is eight six six nine one five WBEZ. We'd love to hear from you at 866 915 WBEZ. Now, Cody, the, the deal still has to get through the Senate, as we've mentioned. So do you think folks in the Senate will try to protect the payment pause or
2: well I hope so. You know, we saw um Biona Presley from Massachusetts come out and say that uh with an amendment to try to remove this provision. And you know, I want to be clear, we all I think agree that we don't want this debt ceiling issue to become a default for the American economy. But we also don't want millions of Americans to default on their student loans and face their own personal economic crisis. So I think it's very important that lawmakers come out and say, we support a debt ceiling bill, but we do not support this particular provision that ends the student loan payment pause. Jack, your thoughts? Well, I mean, Cody's got some good points there. I mean, one of the interesting
3: things is only 1 percent, you know, about 400,000 people uh, that are federal student loan borrowers actually continued to make payments since the pause of March 2020. So that's only about 12 billion of a 1.6 or $7 trillion uh, student loan portfolio. And, And he's right. I mean, the issue is. You know, historically, on a yearly basis, we see anywhere from one to three million college or graduate students getting out of college or graduate school and graduating and given six months to go into repayment. Now they're trying to put, you know, 30 plus million people with, uh, you know, $1.2 trillion into repayment in about uh, a two-month period of time. So, You know, the big issue for the American consumer who has federal and private student loans as well is that they need to be prepared because this is going to happen. And in order to protect what's left of their excess cash uh, on a monthly basis, they need to be communicating with their servicer. Uh, And many of the services on the federal loan program have changed since the uh, pause went into effect. Many borrowers that are going to be making payments for the first time because they graduated subsequent to the pause.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to confuse people. We're we're talking about uh, student loan payments and not debt forgiveness. So just to clarify once again, Jack, how are the issues different?
3: Well, they're they're dramatically different. I mean, what the pause does, or well, what they call administrative forbearance, is. Uh, both the the Republican and, and Democratic presidents put people in this program to get us through COVID. And now what they're doing is being made to, you know, engage in paying back the financial obligation that they did take out to go to college. Forgiveness is looking to not have to pay it back at all. And that's a topic that is a very hot topic on, all sides of the aisle and um, is something that we're going to hear more about in the next next couple of weeks so yeah there, there's a major difference between uh, looking for forgiveness whether it's ten thousand twenty thousand or fifty thousand dollars in forgiveness mm-hmm. and going back in a repayment
0: and Cody because it's still a little unclear where things stand at this point what should people do as a first step I mean do, do you recommend they start? just preparing to pay their loans back?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is it is very challenging to educate borrowers right now because so much is happening. Um, you know, I think step one for borrowers is making sure that they are up to speed with the most current uh, policy changes, updates, and maybe even just updates to their account. Uh, you know, as Jack mentioned, millions of people have had their student loan company essentially changed. So step one for me is to make sure that borrowers Uh, have up-to-date contact information with the Department of Education and the student loan servicing company that they work with. That guarantees that they're getting real-time updates. We know for years an obstacle has been that when a borrower maybe moves or takes a break from making payments, that those are opportunities for those channels of communication between them, the servicer, or the Department of Education Mm -hmm. to break. So make sure you're up to speed by updating your contact information. That's the easiest first step.
0: Any other tips to add there, Jack?
2: Yeah, I think
3: being prepared uh, as an old Eagle Scout is number one. And and number two, uh, the issue is you're going to have to communicate, as as Corey just said, because the other thing you're going to need is patience because these servicers have got to hire additional people to handle. They've never, as, as he said, it, they've never held handle this kind of volume before. So the waiting times are going to be similar to what we saw back in uh, you know, the second quarter of 2006 when interest rates changed and um, went up and waiting times were hours. So I would start communicating with your existing servicer or your new servicer after your show today. And let them know, you know, what your phone number is, what your email is, what your address is. And don't hide from your email box or your postal box and look for the information that's coming through the mail. Because getting people on the phone is going to be almost impossible.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The House of Representatives last night passed a bill that would suspend the debt ceiling so the U.S. government can avoid default. Now, as a part of the deal, millions of people will have to start paying back their student loans. But are folks financially ready for that? Here to discuss is Jack Wallace of YRefi. That's a student loan refinance group. And Cody Hunanian of Student Debt Crisis. We're also taking your calls. Do you have federal student loans? How are you feeling right now about making payments again if the debt ceiling deal goes through? You can call us at 866 915 WBEZ to join the conversation. Again, that's 866 915 WBEZ. Let's jump to the phones and talk with Adriana in Morton Grove. Hey, Adriana, welcome to Reset.
2: Hello. Hello. Oh,
0: good afternoon, everybody. Hello. How are you, how are you doing? So I, I imagine you have a student loan. I do, I do. I am one of the billion, apparently. Yeah. And so <laughs> what's on your with mind? That said, with that being said, as you guys were saying, the first step is is getting in contact with your financial institution and setting up an appointment First, like, point blank and period. But also, too, I was telling the woman who answered the phone that just taking it one step at a day and making sure that you're doing what you have to do is all that we can do right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling, Adriana, and good luck to you. Yeah, Cody, I mean, I think Adriana sort of echoes some of the things you were saying earlier. She says one step at a time,
2: right? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm impressed at Adriana's um, kind of positivity and optimism in right. this process. That will definitely serve her well. Jack is right. It is going to be very, very challenging for folks to contact their servicer in the Department of Ed. Communication is going to be slow there will be confusion, and it's going to be frustrating and a challenge. Um, But, you know, Adriana's right. You know, you've got to try to just chip away at at managing your student loan debt the best you can, despite all of these issues, because they're in many ways out of our hands at this point. Um, So, yeah, Adriana, you know, applause to you for being optimistic and positive. But I know many borrowers are going to have very frustrating and concerning issues in the months ahead.
0: Yeah, Jack, do you think People in in general are even in a good place financially to to start paying their loans back right now?
3: Probably no, because of the increase in interest rates over the course of the last year by the Federal Reserve, coupled with the uh, inflation that we've experienced. So that excess monthly cash I talked about earlier, uh, if there's still any left, is eroded uh, tremendously. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, you've got 10 or 15 percent of the population with federal loans that also have private loans. And those loans have continued to be in repayment. So now what do they do? Do they pay half to the private, half to the federal? Do they choose one or the other? Uh, And and Cody may be able to address this point. But, you know, there's a new uh, income uh, driven repayment program. That's on the drawing board of the department, but that's not going to come out, as I understand it, Cody, till probably December. Yeah. So that could offer another alternative, Sasha, for people that can't afford to make the standard payments uh, to get into an income-contingent repayment program.
0: Is that about right, Cody?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's so much happening in the student loan space beyond just debt cancellation and the student loan payment pause. The Biden administration has worked to fix the system through you know, a variety of different reforms. And one of them is this important income-driven repayment plan that will be even more generous. And one of our arguments for why the student loan payment pause should remain in place is because we feel it is unfair and, and counterproductive to send 40 million people back into a student loan system that has yet to benefit from these reforms being put into place. So anticipate. You know better options and fixes in the future. Um, those are probably several months out, but there are still other things happening in the space that are designed to help borrowers.
0: Let's hear from another caller here, Cindy in Hyde Park. Hi, Cindy. Welcome to Reset. You there, Cindy? We might have lost Cindy, so we'll we'll wait to get someone else uh, connected. Uh, let's uh, go back to talking about forgiveness, uh, Jack. Uh, remind us of President Biden's debt forgiveness. Uh, Folks with student loans still have that, right?
3: Well, the, the, in terms of forgiveness, you've got the public service forgiveness program uh, that's been around for years, which there have been not, uh, there haven't been many uh, that have been forgiven in that program. There have been more uh, in, in recent years. I mean, you also have the ability with, you know, if you're disabled and meet the medical Requirements of be, uh, being disabled to uh, apply for a disability to get out of paying uh, your, your student loan. Uh, you know, there's been fraud from some of the schools, and people have been able to get out of it that way. So, there have been, you know, programs around. Uh, one thing that is not permissible, whether it's federal or private loans, is if you declare bankruptcy, that's the only consumer debt that's still on your credit report everything else gets wiped out. So mm. people need to be aware of that. I think the other thing, and this is tangential, Sasha, but, you know, one of the good things, and I think Cody could probably talk to this, is you've got about seven, it was seven and a half million borrowers who are currently uh, severely delinquent or in default in the federal program, and they're going to get, you know, uh, sort of, a I'll put it in quotes, a fresh start and considered to be current and in, in, you know, in good standing again. Mm-hmm. So if they can pay attention to that and do what the other millions of people that have just been on pause are going to do, you know, they'll get their, you know, and we're concerned with financial well-being of the American consumer, right. particularly those with student loans. And I think that's one way. We've got to pay attention and be prepared.
0: And I think we've got Cindy in Hyde Park back on the line. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? We can hear you. What's your question?
3: So I have about uh, $350,000 in debt. I borrowed sixty, dollars um, took out the loans in the 90s. So it was just many years of really insane interest. Um, I probably paid back the sixty, dollars um, But uh, as I said, it's the interest. So I took I went on an income based repayment repayment plan in about 2010 with the understanding that after like 20 years, the loans would be
0: forgiven. Mm -hmm.
3: And so I'm wondering what happens after the pause to my IBR? Do I get credit for the years that I've been in that program? Does it restart or am I back at zero?
0: Cody, are you able to weigh in on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Cindy, thank you for sharing. And before I, I answer the question, I just want to acknowledge like there are many borrowers like Cindy who have paid back more than they borrowed, have tons of student debt that's essentially just accrued interest. And it's why we believe so much of this debt can be canceled because it's essentially bogus in the first place. Uh, but Cindy, I, I think you are in a prime position to possibly benefit for some recent reforms. So Cindy described the income-driven repayment plan uh is intended to have folks uh, apply every year for a lower payment based on their income. And if they're able to retain that program for 20 or 25 years, whatever debt is remaining should be forgiven. The problem is like many of the federal student loan programs, it had been marred by red tape, bureaucratic obstacles, and things that prevented borrowers from actually receiving relief. This year, there will be something called the one-time account adjustment that is designed to give people credit for years that they should have been given credit for making their payments, but were maybe um, disqualified for different choices they made with their account along the way. So someone like Cindy might actually be right, ready to receive student debt relief under these new account adjustments. So I'd encourage folks to go to studentaid.gov, the Department of Education's website, and learn all about this one-time account adjustment. It could help many, many people.
0: Our thanks to listeners who phoned in and Cody Hunanian, who's the executive director of the group Student Debt Crisis. Also, Jack Wallace, who's the head of government affairs and industry relations at YRefi. Thank you all.